Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I'm your host Adam Burns and coming back with us after his little stay vacation if you like is uh, Mr Courtney Pine. So uh, Courtney you were terribly missed in last week's podcast but we managed to get through this of course with my good friend Lee managed to help us out but first things first how was your vacation? Are you all, did you have a good time? Were you well rested? Yeah I'm, I'm feeling good, feeling uh, re-energised and um ready to tackle this week's topics Adam yeah there's a few topics obviously to discuss now of course at this time of recording we've just had the Spanish Grand Prix one of the races that tends to not necessarily deliver classics I think is fair to say and once again probably fair to say that this is one of the tracks that perhaps is more suited to testing rather than producing exciting races but nonetheless Lewis Hamilton winning once again his fourth win of the season 88 now in total is getting ever closer to that illustrious record of Michael Schumacher's 91 race victories. It almost seems inevitable that Lewis is going to eclipse that this season. Um, what were your thoughts on the race, Courtney? I mean, another mastercast from Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, um, after last week, you know, seeing how much Mercedes seemed to struggle in the heat, they come to a circuit where, you know, we're expecting high temperatures again and Despite being dominant in qualifying, there's a lot of talk of um, Max Verstappen being the uh, being the main threat and um, being able to get Mercedes on race pace, but it didn't quite materialise this time, did it? No, in the opening stint, it looked like Max was doing well to stay with Lewis, but obviously as the race unfolded and transpired, it became more apparent that the main reason for that was because Mercedes were managing their tyres, as you'd say, learning the lessons perhaps of the last two races at Silverstone where they had tyre issues for different reasons and in this case Lewis manages tyres very very well looks after them it wasn't as hot as we thought it was going to be certainly wasn't as hot as it was on Saturday and Friday so Mercedes were very happy about that but at the end of the day Red Bull 
just did not have the pace to beat Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes today. Although it should be said, big achievement for them to get second place. I think it's probably fair to say that that was the absolute maximum they probably could have hoped for in terms of their own racecraft without any intervention or retirements going their way. They did manage to split the Mercedes in Max Verstappen. So I think that's a pretty good achievement. And of course, that keeps Max in second place in the Drivers' Championship with Lewis extending his lead even further now. I mean, we we talked about the possibility of this going from a two-car championship to a one-car championship, but Lewis Hamilton now 37 points clear of Max Verstappen, uh, 43 ahead of his own teammate Valtteri Bottas, who's only won one race this season, the opener in Austria. Is it fair to say at this point, Corny, that this championship is looking very much... Lewis Hamilton's to lose well yeah I mean putting aside some very bad luck or issues with reliability um, I mean I I doubt I doubt the odds are uh, are very big in the favour of Valtteri or Max Um, it just seems that with every season Lewis just becomes more and more of a polished driver and he just you know I know I know Mercedes are particularly quick this season but even when they don't have a strong weekend, he's, he's always, you know, I think he's only ever finished, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's only ever finished first or second this season. Uh, with the exception of the Austrian race, of course, he finished fourth because of the time penalty. But you're right, he's been on the podium, the top two, in every other race other than the first race of the season. Yeah. Even then, fourth position is not exactly something to be sniffed at. Of course, perhaps one record that Lewis Hamilton isn't going to achieve this season, not that there are plenty that he will probably achieve this season, is the record of finishing on the podium in every single race, which of course Michael Schumacher has when he did that in 2002. So again, we're, pick, we're picking at straws here. I mean, I don't think that's slightly in Lewis Hamilton's mind at all, especially after the first race of the season. But yeah, you're right. Once again, controlled the race, got a very good start, which is always a bit difficult in Spain because you've got that long run down into turn one and... The last thing you want to do is get bogged down off the start and end up having to be slipstreamed and overtaken by cars behind you. And that was the big threat for Lewis and Valtteri. And of course, Lewis managed to mitigate that very well and control the race. But Valtteri Bottas, once again, making a small error of judgment, not really getting the cleanest start off the line and then allowing himself to get passed not only by Verstappen, but Lance Stroll as well into turn one. And it really compromised his race. And even towards the end of the race, where it seemed like he might have the tyres and the speed to catch Verstappen, it just never really materialised. So in the end, he did the next best thing, which was to pit onto a set of mediums, fresh mediums, and go out and set a fastest lap, which he did. So he only lost nine more points. But again, it's week after week now, race after race, where no matter what Valtteri is doing, something is happening. Either he makes a mistake in judgment, or gets a bad start, or strategy doesn't go his way like it did in the uh, F1 70th anniversary race last weekend. Right now, it just seems that Lewis has Valtteri very much in his pocket right now. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the telling points in the race, um, I know it wasn't the most entertaining races, but I think one of the telling races, one, one of the telling moments between Lewis and Valtteri was the um, choice of tyre from the second stop because, as you've already stated, um, Valtteri went on to um, use softs yes. on the second stop. And um, that was going to do the same for Lewis, but um, Lewis said no. I feel a lot better on the mediums, and he was um, and he managed to stretch his um, advantage over Max. And maybe if Valtteri chose to gone into those mediums on that second um, stop, he might have been able to have um, caught Max. And it's just those those little things, you know. Even when you you can even like 
Lawrence Lewis a whole lot more than um, Baldry did. And uh, this old number two um, driver, you know, status and the memes that you see about Baldry Bottas are becoming as apparent as ever this season. Well, I mean, we should give Valtteri the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we, we've often talked about, is Valtteri good enough to beat Lewis Hamilton over the course of the season? I've been very open about this, and as much as I ha- respect Valtteri's talents and as good a driver as I think he is, I just don't yeah. believe he has enough in him, mentally and talent-wise, as a driver to beat Lewis Hamilton over the course of a season. I, I think we all saw what it did to Nico Rosberg mentally, and I think... It was a testament to his talent and mental strength to take everything that he had taken against Lewis and then eventually beat him in 2016 with some fortune, but of course won it on merit in the end. I just don't think Valtteri has that. And because yeah, of the, this... The, the, sorry, Adam, go yeah, on. Just, so, don't get my just, no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> we tend to do this a lot, guys, so don't worry. We interrupt each other. It's just that we're very good at editing out, but this time I'll just let it go just for the sake of <laughs> less five minutes editing job from yours truly. Anyway, but... One thing that we've seen a lot, and we've entertained this idea, is other drivers driving in that Mercedes. In, in the past, it's been Sebastian Vettel, possibly, if he was in the Mercedes. Uh, Max Verstappen, in recent races, over the last few years, I think it's fair to say, everybody wants to see Max Verstappen against Lewis Hamilton in equal cars and equal performance to see who really is um, the top driver in Formula 1. I, I think you and I both agree it's probably Lewis at this point in time, but... Once again, Max is in a Red Bull that shouldn't really be going toe-to-toe with the Mercedes. He's doing a much better job and getting better race results than Valtteri Bottas. So there's that added pressure that Valtteri is dealing with. And of course, we talked about before last season how Valtteri was struggling in his personal life. And obviously, I won't bring too much into that. But he was going through a very difficult divorce, um, which can, you know, I've ne- I'm not married. I'm not attached or anything, but I can totally understand how difficult that can be strenuous on a person even in the most amicable circumstances for what I understood there wasn't any sort of friction between him and his uh, ex-wife but nonetheless it, it's it's a great ordeal to deal with and this season obviously he's got a new girlfriend she goes to the races with him he seems a very much happier person and that would normally translate into his driving but as it happened last season Valtteri getting that early momentum in the first race and just doesn't seem to have that ability to, to sustain that brilliance or at least keep Lewis Hamilton behind him for over the course of the season. And, and we're already seeing it again this year. So it, quite a difficult period for Valtteri to deal with. It seems almost like last week, no matter what he does, he just cannot seem to be able to beat Lewis at the moment. Well, I'd like to make two points, because you know what? You've made a lot of good points there. You, you've covered it pretty well. But um, the first point I'd like to make is that they've been racing, what, this would be the fourth season? Yes. Fourth season where they're racing, they've been racing in the same team. And I'm sorry, like if you have a look at, we can, you can only compare it to Nico. With with Nico, he was challenging Lewis in two thousand as well. Two thousand and thirteen, they were pretty close. Two thousand and fourteen, close again. Two thousand and fifteen, Lewis was, you know, I think Lewis went with a couple of races to spare, and obviously we know what happened in two thousand sixteen. So they've been close. There are thereabouts within their time as teammates. With Valtteri, we haven't seen this at all in, this would be almost four seasons. And I can't see, I mean, I just can't see it happening. You know, Lewis seems to be breaking records, you know, almost becoming the best of all time in terms of statistics while Valtteri's struggling. And I just can't see how that would change. But um, on a lighter note, 
also um, I'd like to say that I love the fact, Adam, that you um, just threw in that, that little piece of information. You're not attached. So <laughs> you ladies out there, you ladies out there, Adam Burns, the host of DNF1 and our great editor, is indeed single. So if you are interested, feel free to contact us and uh, you never know. Good things might come from it. <laughs> I've seen Stranger Things, so uh, I wouldn't rule it out. But uh, obviously, I'll keep this one in the archives just in case something does materialise. But nevertheless, um, the less said of my dating life, the better right now. But um, <laughs> especially during COVID season, I mean, I mean, not to go too off on a tangent, but the norm apparently with dating is people meeting up in parks and then going for walks and that to get to know each other. I couldn't imagine a more nerve-wracking, stressful experience because normally when you date these days. Uh, from my experience, you just go to the pub, have a few drinks, relax, and kind of try to feel comfortable over a few pints of whatever your poison is, and that kind of helps you. But no, I don't. I'm not really a fan of what's going on right now. But then that's uh, a discussion for a completely different podcast. But it's um, fine, Adam. It's fine. All you need to do, I've, I've got the ideal date for you. Oh god. You're walking along the, walk the Thames on a nice sunny day, and you discussed the great job that Sebastian Vettel did on those soft tyres in Barcelona. Sorted. Well, and it's funny. <laughs> I think that brings us around very, very nicely. So I think, obviously, we've discussed Mercedes really getting it right. I think we'll get back to Red Bull. But since you brought up Sebastian Vettel, I mean, what a great job. It might not look it, given that he finished seventh today, but what a brilliant job he did today in the race. Did 37 laps, as you quite rightly pointed out, on the soft tyres to get driver of the day as well. Starting 11th, obviously, we've seen Sebastian in recent weeks having... A lot of trouble, particularly around Silverstone, I think it's fair to say. He was always at least half a second off Charles Leclerc. He just couldn't get that car to work. Had some changes to the car. Had a brand new chassis bought in. Of course, there was a bit of a crack on it. They didn't think it was related to performance, but he felt a little bit more com confident in the car this weekend. Not wholesale, but definitely a bit more. And despite the difficulties in strategy today, he absolutely managed that superbly. And a, a few things I want to mention with Sebastian Vettel in this race, why it's even more impressive, is the fact that I don't believe that he, this it ever went according to plan at all in terms of strategy. I think the plan was to put him on medium tyres and then perhaps pit halfway through the race and put on a set of hards and go to the end. Unfortunately, the way the race panned out, the soft tyres... Drivers were getting more out of them than they thought they would. They were certainly extending their stints. And Sebastian's advantage he had on the medium tyres was completely mitigated by the fact that people were extending their soft tyre stints. So he pitted roughly the same time as Charles Leclerc, looked, around about lap 29, 28, who was on the soft tyres, Charles Leclerc should be said, because he qualified in the top 10. And then Vettel was on the softer tyres. And it got to a point where Ferrari were telling him, right, he just needs to push. It's going to be a short stint. He'll come in the pits, put on another set of softs or mediums, and then finish the race. As the race digressed, the lack of communication was frustrating for Seb. Because, of course, obviously what happened to Charles with his electrical fault, which took him out of the race today, which was a shame for him because he believed he was on for a top five finish. Not sure about that, but we'll see. But once again, despite Sebastian's efforts, Ferrari's... Lack of communication with him and issues with strategy has really caused a lot more problems than they should do. The last thing Ferrari needs with their issues with their car is issues on strategy once again. And you could tell Sebastian was frustrated. He was saying things on the radio like, I literally, you know, about the tyres, they asked him to go to the end. He said, I literally asked you about this guy, uh, about this strategy a few times already. And you said just to push. And now you're telling me to go to the end. By the which point, 
he'd already used up the peak grip in the tyre. So he had no choice. But thankfully, despite losing only fifth and sixth place to Stroll and Science towards the end, he managed to hold on for seventh place. And uh, I think above all else, I think Sebastian Vettel, even though he may not feel it, should be very pleased with that performance from him. Definitely one of the better performances he's put in this season. And uh, it's just adding to the woes and the misery that he's going through at Ferrari. It's a very difficult and dark time. And it's such a shame that his time at Ferrari is going to pan out the way that we believe it's probably going to at the moment. Certainly not riding off into the sunset, that's for sure. Um, in terms of um, with Seb, I've noticed in the last couple of races like his general demeanour. So... I like to, I'm, a, I'm a bit sad. I like to listen in on the um, radio messages after the races. And the last couple of races, he's been pretty much silent in the cockpit. You know, he's pretty... Uh, I can't read the guy's mind, but it would surprise me if he feels like the forgotten man of Ferrari. He probably doesn't feel very um, well-treated. And it's not nice to see. And the fact that he got the maximum out of that car and everything that's going on, the way that he's being made to feel... I think the fans resonated with that today. They noticed that, and that's why he got voted um, the F1 driver today. Yeah, I just yeah. hope that this could be a mini statement for him to pick up positive momentum for the rest of the season. And let's hope that he gets a seat from, for next season because you know he is one of the um, he is one of the biggest names in the sport. And, and you know, I think you just touched on himself. So you don't want to see him go at the sport in like in in this way. No one wants to see that happen. No, absolutely right. And it's such a shame that for someone like, as you said, like a four-time world champion, has, uh, I think, 53 Grand Prix wins to his name, if I remember rightly, only Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher, of course, having more race wins than Sebastian Vettel. So the stats all add up. Uh, I mean, speaking of stats, Lewis Hamilton, of course, as you put out on the uh, Instagram page earlier, by the way, if you're not following that, that's DNF1 underscore podcast. Make sure to follow that, of course. And Lewis Hamilton now taking the outright record for the most podiums in Formula 1, 156, Michael Schumacher on 155. So a lot of these records, it's either Lewis or Michael at the moment. But surprisingly enough, Sebastian Vettel is actually next on that list as well with 130. So he's not exactly too far off either. And, and you, you tally all of those records up with someone like Sebastian Vettel. When we watched through the 2010s the early period of Red Bull and Vettel dominance and of course it wasn't the most exciting times in Formula 1 perhaps similar levels to what we're seeing right now but for different reasons and it's amazing to think that we're talking about a guy that 10 years ago would be talking about the same person in these complete contrasting scenarios and as I said you know Ferrari fan or not Sebastian Vettel fan or not it's really such a shame to see someone like Sebastian Vettel, who, all things considered, seems like a genuinely really great guy in Formula 1, being perhaps mistreated is probably the right word, or completely isolated away from a Ferrari team that... It's almost like a messy breakup. I mean, we're bringing, yeah. all, we're bringing all the dating puns here today, but, I mean, Sebastian Vettel has literally been left out in the cold on his own Ferrari have completely immersed themselves around Charles Leclerc. And, and you'd probably argue the only reason why Ferrari were so adamant on this sudden change in strategy is because they probably realised, actually, we've still got one car left in this race. Charles is not in the race. No, it's true. Think about it. Like, it's true. Yeah. It is very true. You know, with, with Seb, he seems like, you know, 
the guy that has been like friend zoned and he's just gone all like quiet and awkward. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the best way to describe it. And he still has to pay child support or alimony or whatever you want to call it till the end of the season when his contract will go and then obviously he will move on to pastures new. What they may be, the rumours are that it's most likely going to be Racing Point or Aston Martin, but. I hope so. I hope so, but even now, with the way Perez and Stroll have been driving, particularly Stroll as well, makes it even more difficult decision to make. You'd almost have to ask yourself, despite the fact that it's Sebastian Vettel, a four-time world champion, with all the records he has, is he fast enough to prove that he would be a better option for Racing Point or Aston Martin going forward than what they already have and and that's a question that's not going to go away until the decision is made so um, a lot of questions to be asked, a lot of answers to find and right now probably not going to get any of those perhaps until uh, I would say after the few Italian races maybe but of course we'll have to wait and see, the rumours are certainly not going away that's for sure well if he continues to have races like this, they surely needs to be considered because, you know, we've, we've touched on this topic conversation many times. I would not like to see Sebastian Vettel leave F1, you know, ending the way, ending the season the way it's kind of been going. No one wants to see that. I mean, he's 33 years old. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could potentially not be on the grid and retire from Formula 1, yet it feels like he's been in F1 for a long time. He's been in F1, I think, 2006, it was, or 2005. He had a brief stint for BMW Sauber, might have been. Uh, I think it was one of 2006, it might well be. And uh, then obviously going into Toro Rosso and the rest of his history. But, yeah, it's it's hard to imagine Formula 1 without Sebastian Vettel. I mean, there's going to be a lot of drivers, of course, in other episodes we'll talk about in the future about the driver market situation. And, what drivers can come up from the junior categories and F2, I mean Alfa Romeo in particular they've got a big head scratcher for next season, what they're going to do with the Ferrari Driver Academy youngsters doing so well in F2 but right now yeah difficult times for Sebastian Vettel and uh, Ferrari obviously looks like they're just playing this out, I I think we can both agree that the problems Ferrari are having the problems Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc are having to deal with at the moment are primarily to do with the car I think if the car was much more competitive along Red Bull Mercedes pace, or at least Red Bull pace, I don't think we'd be having these issues with Sebastian Vettel. It'd be much more similar to 2019 where... Yeah, it wouldn't be as bad. Of course not. Yeah, I think Ferrari's biggest problem would be them two tripping over each other, like they did towards the tail end of last season. But uh, we'll move along. Of course, we can talk about Ferrari for ages, what's going on there. I mean, we have plenty of episodes, guys, talking about Ferrari in particular. So definitely check those out if you want to know more about that situation. But we'll move it back to Red Bull. Max Verstappen, once again, as we said earlier, second position in the race, third in qualifying, extracting the absolute maximum he can out of his race. And I've said this before in other episodes of this podcast, and I'll say it again quite often like Martin Brundle does, but thank God for Max Verstappen right now. It's similar vibes to when Fernando Alonso was in the Ferrari and putting pressure on the Red Bulls. Uh, in 2010 and 2012 that's what we're getting right now and um, it's hard to see what Red Bull can do to overhaul Mercedes at least this season Um, but at least for now it's good to see Max Verstappen at least not making it easy for Mercedes it's making them think or sweat a little bit on strategy they're not all having it their own way so that's something at least yeah it's a combination I feel though with with this season I feel there's a combination of how good Max has been for Red Bull 
and how poor Valkyrie has been for Mercedes. Because if we even look back to last week, I'm, I'm, I know he won the race and he deserved to win, but I do wonder how that race could have panned out if Lewis had started on pole instead of Valtteri. Yeah, there's a lot of questions over that, a lot of what-ifs. And as yeah. we said quite often with Valtteri, in qualifying, as quick, I mean, Spain has always been a good track for Valtteri. And in, pre- in previous years, despite the fact that Lewis has now won there four times in a row, um, I mean, as you know, that aside, and Valtteri's qualifying pace has always been impressive in Spain, but for whatever reason, it's just not able to finish it off in the race. And of course, this season, Lewis seems to have had a tenth or two more with the exception of the opening race. So, as I said before, it seems like no matter what Valtteri's doing, he just cannot deliver. And right now, I think his biggest concern is beating Max Verstappen, let alone his yeah. teammate. Yeah, it's been impressive. Mm. He's, he's always there. The moment Mercedes make the slightest slip up, Max will be there to pick up the pieces. Yeah. And you could argue, without incidents that happened in Austria in the steering race, that Max could very much be close to leading this world championship. Um, yeah. That, that's how good Max has been this season. I think we should never discount that. But um, questions for Mercedes. They've got Valtteri on for next season, so a lot to think about. And, of course, Red Bull, they are now in that precarious position that I mentioned last week's episode where they have an elite-level driver that wants to be competing for race wins and world championships every season. They know We know he can do that. But unfortunately, they've not been able to give him the car that's capable of doing that, probably ever in his time, I think it's fair to say, since he's been at Red Bull in 2016, I don't think he's ever had a car capable of winning a world championship. Particularly and, not yeah. from the start, but no. generally speaking, Red Bulls tend to started slowly and then they've been in a position to win races towards the end of the season, but by that point the championships are over. Mm. But this season, I don't know, this, this season, I know Red Bull are doing okay, but I do feel this is more of a case of how well Max is doing because Alex Albon is getting a lot of stick and he's no slouch. When he's given the opportunity, he will do good things for the car. It just it just makes you wonder, is the position where Red Bull are a reflection of how good they are or is this more of a case of Max extracting the best out of the car? The way that we're seeing Charles Leclerc do with Ferrari, I think it's fair to say that Max is outperforming the Red Bull. First things first. We know that. Uh, He's been consistently doing it. We've seen before when drivers outperform their cars. I mean, we talked about Fernando Alonso often doing it for Ferrari in the early 2010s. Sebastian Vettel did it for Ferrari before they become championship contenders again. And um, Max Verstappen has always put in those performances. I mean, Red Bull... I've had these problems with their driver lineup since Ricardo left a couple of years ago to go to Renault. They've not had two drivers capable of taking it to the Mercedes. And this has been a problem for Red Bull and Ferrari in particular over the turbo hybrid era. They've never really had two drivers at the same time in, in the cars that could really take it to Mercedes since Ricardo moved on. And Mercedes have always had such a strong car where both of their drivers are always attacking the other teams. It's usually two against one. And yeah, uh, and, and Mercedes, at, at very worst, will end up with a first and a third. But they won't care because they've won the race. It's not like what happened last week where Max really took it to them, threw them off, and with the conditions and everything else, got the job done. 
and uh, we haven't seen that enough in recent years, hence why Mercedes have been so brilliant. But as you said before, Red Bull in that precarious position now where they have to deliver something to Max because we're getting to a point now where Max might feel a bit more, um, I think a bit more uncertain over his next contract, which obviously his current one runs till 2023. What will his next move be? Because if a seat is available at Mercedes, maybe not Ferrari, I don't think Ferrari would entertain something like that. It'd be stupid not to, but I just don't see it happening. But at no. least at Mercedes, I think they'd be foolish. Um, and Max Verstappen would definitely be going to have a look and inquire if a seat is available at Mercedes in the next couple of years. But of course, those are issues that we'll be talking about in the years to come. But once again, great drive for Max. Red Bull did their absolute best they could to try and unsettle Mercedes with a strategy. But you don't get days like they had last week. And unfortunately... Um, it wasn't to be this week. But again, another good solid performance. Alex Albon, we should quickly mention him. Much better in qualifying. Sick fastest. Not Probably still would prefer him to be at least ahead of the racing points. But for now, I think they've been happy with that. But he did finish 8th in the race. He, got, he did get bogged down a bit. And of course, beaten by Sainz and Sebastian Vettel, who were on altering strategies. So very difficult one for him in the race. But nonetheless, uh, signs of improvement. But... I digress onwards. I think it's probably a good opportunity now to wrap up for part one uh, as we're at the halfway point now. In part two, we'll be discussing Racing Point, how their weekend went, and of course, some of the controversy in, uh, surrounding the protest between themselves over the penalty they received and, of course, some of the other teams as well, what the latest is on that situation. So, in the meantime, guys, uh, go get yourself a drink or something, get yourself comfortable, and we'll see you in part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. In the moment. So welcome back for part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So obviously in part one we were talking about the race review for the Spanish Grand Prix. As we said it wasn't exactly one for the history books or the archives that we'll see on Classic F1 anytime soon. But nonetheless of course once again a brilliant dominant display from Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. Seeing him increase his championship lead now ahead of Max Verstappen uh, to 37 points and of course 43 ahead of his teammate Moving on from that, one little cheeky little plug, as we often like to have a little bit of a shameless plug on this podcast. For those of you that have been following us for a while now, know that we put out a beginner's guide to Formula One, and we split that into two parts with part one that's doing really, really well. It's nearly hit the 300 views mark on YouTube. Now, of course, 300, 300 views doesn't sound like a lot, but to us, that's massive. We never thought... In our wildest imaginations, after doing this for such a short time, we started this up in February, that we would have anywhere near that kind of attention. I mean, 300 people, that's like a few cinema screens, basically, full of people watching a video that we've made. And uh, as a content creator, or as we are very, very new content creators, that means so much to us that you guys are supporting us and watching our content. We really appreciate that. And of course, if there's anything you guys want to see in particular all want to know that we didn't cover do let us know and of course part two we did pull that out on friday so if you haven't seen part two and you were eagerly awaiting that make sure to check that out is on the youtube channel now and that's dnf1-f1 podcast make sure to like share and subscribe to the channel and say hi in the comments as well let us know that you're enjoying the content as well we always love engaging with our listeners and our viewers as well so make sure to check that out and of course we've got plenty 
of ideas for new content coming, some skit adverts that we were talking about, parody stuff, and also uh, some gaming content, as I would have teased before. Now that I've got some more time, I'm going to start putting that out, and it's going to be uh, an F1 gaming series on F1 2020. I'm going to do a My Team series, obviously a new feature for the F1 game for this season, and uh, we're going to do a My Team series based on the DNF1 racing team as well. So let me know if you're looking forward to that and we'll give you more details as and when they become available. So plenty to look forward to, but moving back to the uh, race itself, of course, Racing Point. Now, Racing Point did an excellent job today. Fourth and fifth, respectively, for Lance Stroll and Sergio Perez. Sergio was on the one-stopper. He was the leading driver on the one-stopper until he got bogged down with a five-second time penalty owing to the fact that he did not let Lewis Hamilton through before receiving three blue flags. So he got a five-second time penalty. Just a quick one on that, Courtney. What did you think of that penalty? Because Sergio Perez felt he was a bit hard done by that decision. Yeah, looking at the footage, I, I did feel it was a bit harsh. It wasn't like he impeded Lewis too much. And I, don't, I, don't, I didn't hear any complaints on the radio from Lewis. So, yeah, it seemed a bit harsh. But, you know, I've got, got to say how impressive it was for... Um, Sergio Perez to recover from coronavirus and just get straight back into the car and um, deliver and get the result that he got. To be honest, I'm, I'm truly impressed by it because he could have been, he could have come back, could have, he could have felt groggy, he could have felt out of place because you know when you are a sportsman, a lot of it is to do with momentum, and he'd lost that. But he come back in, it was as, it was as if he'd never been away at him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Sergio put in an excellent performance. Drove a good race. Obviously, he was on the one-stopper, so that second stint was a very long one. And, yeah, I, I remember watching that incident back, and it seemed to be one of those, it's a bit six of one, half a dozen of the other, because as he went down the back straight into Turn 1, he had hit that third blue flag just at the breaking point. And I think the argument the FIA and the stewards have put forward to penalise Sergio Perez in this instance is that... Lewis Hamilton was the one that had to make the move to overtake him rather than Sergio Perez moving off the racing line and allowing Lewis to just drive on without impeding him. Of course, as we saw, Mercedes, everybody, I think everybody was lapped with the exception of Bottas and Verstappen, which was incredible, to be honest. I think another achievement for Max that he was actually on the same lap as the Mercedes. But uh, nonetheless, I think a little bit harsh, perhaps. But I can understand why the FIA needs to... Pro I think they need to probably clamp down on things like this because I think we've seen often in the past, as we said, our outro video parodies on this with, with the blue flag situation, particularly with Sebastian Vettel in the past, uh, ironically had to, had to let Bottas through with a blue flag to avoid a penalty himself. But the FIA in the past have not really penalised drivers for ignoring blue flags. And they didn't do that to Perez. They also did it to... Um, Danny Kvyat, who also got a five-second time penalty for the same thing. So at least they're being consistent today. Unfortunately for Perez, despite a massive, massive effort to finish in the top four on the road after recovering from COVID, as we said, he missed two races, so he really needed to put in a performance today. And uh, it's caused him to add that penalty, which is unfortunate. But I think Racing Point, above all else, should be very delighted. It's their best performance in a very, very long time. Best since they've had this... Uh, if you like, the Tracing Point Mercedes W10 mock-up version that they've prepared for this season, which has been at the centre of a lot of scrutiny. Now, I didn't get your opinion on this last week, Courtney, when I was talking to Lee about this, and he had some interesting views on this. And, of course, if, if for those of you that didn't see that episode, make sure to check that out. It was last week's review 
of the uh, 70th anniversary Grand Prix. But of course, since then, Racing Point had the penalty. 15 points were docked from their constructors total, seven and a half per car, and a 400,000 euro fine, uh, 200,000 per car, for having brake ducts which were deemed illegal, however, uh, or copied versions from the Mercedes from last season that were not on the racing point last season. That's where the argument kind of is at the moment. And it's such a confusing and a difficult argument to really decide and deduce who is actually in the right or wrong in this situation. And we won't do that on this episode. But what I want to get, Courtney, is your thoughts on this appeals process. Do you think that ultimately this penalty that or the sanction that Racing Point have received from the FAI, do you think it's too harsh or on the money, or do you feel, puns aside, or do you feel that perhaps it's not harsh enough? I think it depends on how much information on the card that other teams have. Because, you know, it looks just like last year's Mercedes, and, you know, there are a lot of parts that are the same, but it depends on the intricate details of the car. And only those within the, the sport itself will know this. So if they come out to find more um, more details, like for example, communication between themselves and Mercedes, and it turns out that it is illegal, then of course they have a right to appeal. But if they are only acting on limited information, then you know you just it almost looks salty from other teams. But then on the flip side to that, what you don't want to see going forward, maybe you want to see. Racing Point being made an example of because what you don't want going into the coming seasons, particularly with teams needing to cut their budget, we don't want to be seeing copies of, you don't want to be seeing, for example, three copies of the 2020 Mercedes and three copies of this year's Red Bull. You don't want to be seeing that. So I have, I have mixed feelings on the matter. If they've gone well within the law, then fair enough. But if they have broken any, any, any of the rules, I would like to see it penalised because, as I just said, I don't want to be seeing Mercedes A, B, C, D going into the future. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to make. And the FIA have stressed that they have taken strides to make sure that this sort of thing does not happen again. Unfortunately, it doesn't really sit well with some of the other teams that are competing with them, the likes of McLaren, Renault, Ferrari, uh, three of which who were protesting and, and seeking an appeals for this decision with the Court of Arbitration of Sport, who have been very, very busy themselves with the Manchester City situation. But that's, a, as I said, another topic for another show. And I think the argument is, is that they want clarity, these teams that are appealing. Of course, they don't think the penalty is harsh enough. I think we need to be honest about that. Renault and Ferrari in particular do not feel that the sanctions are harsh enough. Uh, Red Bull weren't happy about the decision either, but they decided not to appeal on the grounds that Ferrari and Renault have done so themselves. And to be honest, any appeals process involving Ferrari tends to carry a lot of weight anyway. So I can understand Red Bull's stance on that one. But um, since then, McLaren and Williams, two of the teams that were considering an appeal, have both pulled out with this one. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because we do love a little bit of controversy, but it's very interesting how outspoken Toto Wolff has been on this subject with uh, Racing Point and Aston Martin. Uh, it's it's worth noting, for those of you that don't know, that Toto Wolff, of course, Mercedes, do supply listed parts to Racing Point and, of course, were at the centre of this because this was a part that Mercedes supplied to them. However, it was a listed part at the time of purchase. But because they didn't use the rear brake ducts on last year's car, which they used on this year's, it's deemed that 
they've basically designed it using uh, intellectual property belonging to another team supplied to them. And Toto Wolf has been very outspoken on this and almost defiant. He's not happy about how this has been handled and what message this is kind of sending, not just to Racing Point, but to also Mercedes. And I think it's also very interesting to note that he has a stake in Aston Martin. I think it's about 11% or something like that, some arbitrary figure. He's bought shares into that um, racing brand, along with uh, Lawrence Stroll, who leads the consortium with that. So he does have his own personal self-interest in the inner workings of Racing Point and Aston Martin as a Formula One team going forward. Hence why that's fed rumours about whether or not he's going to stay at Mercedes and perhaps go there. That's always been... Uh, those rumours have been circulating the F1 paddock quite a lot. They come up this weekend. Exactly. Yeah, his future's been... Uh, and, of course, that's been at the centre of Lewis Hamilton's future as well, although we expect Lewis to stay at Mercedes anyway, regardless whether Toto continues on. But that's, again, we'll talk about that another time. One thing I want to play devil's advocate on is it does seem a bit strange in the midst of all this that McLaren and Williams, two teams... Well, Williams use Mercedes engines now, but McLaren will be using Mercedes engines from next season onwards to suddenly pull out of an appeals process which could entrap Mercedes as well as Racing Point. Do we feel that, or in your opinion, Corny, do you feel that perhaps this decision from McLaren and Williams was motivated by loyalty to Mercedes in particular? Or do we feel that they don't believe that there's any sort of grounds for any further appeal other than perhaps seeking clarity on what they can and cannot do in terms of copying from other cars? Well, it certainly seems convenient, doesn't it? I can't argue against that. But, again, just touching a point I made at the start, it just depends on how much information these teams have. If they don't feel they have enough information or there's enough telling information to lodge an appeal, then they won't do it. Because, as you know, in Formula 1, any opportunity to get an advantage over a rival, they'll take it. So I'm kind of edging more towards the lack of information, but I can definitely understand why it does seem convenient that the two teams are going to be held by Mercedes next season wouldn't want to protest. I haven't seen any uh, quotes or any statements from Williams on their position and why their stance has changed. I know that Andrew Seddle, the uh, technical officer at McLaren, team principal McLaren, I should say, has basically said that they wanted clarity on this situation from the FIA and they believe that they're going to get that regardless of what the outcome is. So they're satisfied in their opinion. As I said, it, it does seem a bit convenient that both of those two teams in particular that had ties with Mercedes have pulled out their have not uh, withdrew their appeals, if you like. However, that does leave Renault and Ferrari. So this will this still has legs to go. I don't think this investigation is going to be the end of it. I think there's probably more to it, perhaps, than we're made aware. But Racing Point and particular Otmar Zafner and Lawrence Stroll are of the absolute concrete opinion that they've done nothing wrong. And I can understand from what they're saying that they said that they complied with everything the FIA did. Nicholas Tambassis, who's basically the head of open wheel technical regulations in the FIA, went down there to review everything with them, spent time when the car was being developed and built, and gave it a clean bill of health. So perhaps the FIA are left with a little bit of egg on their face as to why they can't completely throw the book at Racing Point over a technical breach rather than a sporting one which they were punished for so um, plenty more to come from this I don't see this being the end of it and uh, we'll have to wait and see how that unfolds but nonetheless a very good strong week for Racing Point which sees them now move up into third place in the Constructors Championship now ahead of McLaren and Ferrari who are both a point off of them 
respectively in fourth and fifth positions. Uh, moving on to other news, of course, we'll talk about another piece that's being uh, talked about the FIA have made. Just a quick mention for Kimi Raikkonen. Now, Kimi Raikkonen, a driver who I think, in my opinion, I think this is going to be his last season in F1, and it will be sad to see Kimi go. A driver who is racing in Formula 1 basically for fun. For anyone who's seen yeah. the Drive to Survive Series 2 on Netflix, um, will be laughing at that scene where the drivers are talking about what it means to be in Formula 1, and then you just get Kimi coming. It's just a hobby for me. In this most straightest Kimi Raikkonen face you could imagine it. It was hilarious when he said that, but that just sums Kimmy up. We love Kimmy for that lackadaisical attitude where he's just out here to have a good time. And uh, I think this weekend, particularly qualifying, he probably would have a good time. He qualified in the in Q2, first time this season, got out of Q2, brilliant job in the Alfa Romeo. And also uh, a little bit of history for Kimmy Raikkonen. So on lap 38 today, Kimi Raikkonen had broken the record for the longest distance covered by any F1 driver in history in the sport. He had raced 83,846 kilometres in F1 after lap 37. And to put that into context, guys, that is more than twice the circumference of planet Earth um, that Kimi Raikkonen has driven a Formula 1 car in a race. And I've got to say, that is an incredible achievement for Kimi Raikkonen. So, well done to him on that one I think it's fair to say uh, Kimi has been definitely a huge part of this sport and of course this season has the opportunity to set the record for being the all time uh, all time number of races in Formula 1 I think he's done over I think 300 and, over 311 I think he's done something like that I'll have to get the exact number but again the true veteran of Formula 1 Kimi Raikkonen has been around since yeah, 2001 he would have been in the sport weren't they yeah I was going to say so he would have been in the sport for almost 20 years that's crazy mm. I mean he had those th- a couple of years out obviously when he was doing Rallycross when yeah. his uh, Ferrari contract uh, that Ferrari got rid of him obviously to uh, bring in Fernando Alonso a bit earlier and then of course he joined Lotus a few years later won a few races and then went back to Ferrari but um, despite his golden years if you like not really bringing home the victories and the race results that he certainly did when he was at Ferrari and of course McLaren as well uh, when he won the World Championship 2007 with Ferrari still Ferrari's last World Champion as well which is another surprising stat but nonetheless a brilliant career for Kimi Räikkönen. and I think it very much um, loved by all in the sport and it will be sad to see him move on whatever he decides to move on will it be this year or next year as said before I suspect it probably will be this season given the rise of some youngsters in the Ferrari Driver Academy and other categories. But nonetheless, a big achievement to Kimi Raikkonen, so congratulations to him on that one. I think one final thing to talk about, Corn, before we wrap this all up, because we will cover our preview of the Belgian Grand Prix in next week's episode, because, of course, we have the two-week break now when F1 comes back on the 30th. And uh, if, if you do hear some music in the background, guys, I do apologise for that, one of my... Uh, neighbours not being very considerate as they're driving past but nonetheless we will move on and uh, the one thing I just wanted to talk about the last couple of minutes of this episode call me is uh, a, a quick rule change that the FIA have gone down they've decided to eliminate uh, contrasting engine mapping modes between qualifying and the race so to put it in a short story for everyone or short summary if you like the FIA have basically outlawed things like party mode that you would have heard quite often with Mercedes and the aim is to stop teams from using different modes between quality and the race. Now, that doesn't mean to say that 
Mercedes can't use their famous party mode anymore, but it means that they can't use that in qualifying and then not have that in the race. So they have to be consistent in qualifying and the race. So if you run an engine spec in qualifying, you have to run the same engine spec in the race. And uh, as I said, the aim of it, I believe, is to try and make Mercedes, slow Mercedes down so they're not so dominant in qualifying. Because in some races, they're seven, eight temps a second. In some cases, they were second and a half quick. I mean, Barcelona's a Mercedes track, but it was ridiculous how much faster they are than everyone else. So I think that's the aim, to slow them down in qualifying, maybe not necessarily the race. But I think the downside to this, why this might not necessarily prove successful, in my opinion, is the fact that Mercedes could probably take this information, run dyno tests on their engine to find out what is the absolute maximum tolerance they can get from their engine, because we know they don't push them that often, only when they set the fastest lap on the final lap because they're taking the mick on old tyres. But this may end up resulting in Mercedes being faster in the race rather than being faster in qualifying, if that makes sense. What, what do you think, yeah. Cormie? Well, I think you know, just think you um, just hit the nail on the head there, to be honest, mate. Um, you're right, if they do some testing on their car and see how they can get the pure maximum out of it, then we could well be seeing that in the race because you've seen with dominant teams in Formula 1 before, particularly uh, Red Bull resonates with me, is they were often winning races by sometimes over a minute. And I just get the impression that, you know, whenever like Mercedes have been like far ahead, they never really go any more, like 20 seconds at a push. You never see them really dominate by like a minute, like other dominant teams in F1R. So this could spark this kind of result going forward. Yeah, I absolutely think so too. And, um, I mean, one team this will benefit is Ferrari because... Obviously, Ferrari, they've had to change their engine massively following the controversy investigation, which resulted in uh, not being able to see the actual outcome and findings of the investigation regarding the oil burning uh, loophole apparently that Ferrari had exploited. They will not know because they, they had reached an agreement in principle to not disclose that information, which uh, I believe all of us were not very happy about, teams, fans, drivers, etc., even though we know something was not quite right. And... You see these sorts of things, and I think Ferrari will probably be happy because their new engine, they claim, does not have a party mode like it used to. And uh, if that is the case, that will make Ferrari a bit more competitive in qualifying. However, that comes into effect in Belgium. Probably a great place for that to come into effect because that's going to be a track that's very power-sensitive. And, of course, Ferrari be very happy with that news. I don't think anyone else is totally, totally thrilled about it. Um but as I said before, I think what we may find is this might make Mercedes a bit more dominant in the race rather than in qualifying. So might be a little counterintuitive almost there. But, um, yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree. Um, I mean, yeah, going into Spa as well, you know. Jeez, because, you know, you think about, you know, God, the long straight the going up the hill. Jesus. If you think, uh, over how many laps is it usually in Spa? Uh, 44. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, as, as happy as I am to see, obviously, as a, as a fan, to see, you know, Lewis winning races and everything, yeah, you don't, you don't want to be seen, because I, it, when I used to watch the Red Bull era, God, I used to make my heart sing, we used to see him winning races by, you know, 45 seconds up to a minute, you don't want to be seeing it, and let's hope that this rule change doesn't see something like that happen. 
No, let's hope not. But uh, let's hope it just produces what the FA were hoping for and make the teams closer in qualifying. But then having said that, other than Mercedes and Max Verstappen to a degree, it's been fairly close between most of the teams. So hopefully more of that to come. And uh, I think it's a good opportunity to wrap this up. Um, just want to say a huge thank you to everybody that supported this podcast so far. I mean, we, we put out a post in the week to say that we had hit over 500 listeners in... Uh, on our podcast for uh, podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, etc. And we were just looking at some of the locations in which that people were listening to our podcast and downloading it, and we saw some brilliant ones. I mean, um, it's uh, so many listeners in places like America, of course, most of our listeners in the UK, obviously Holland in particular, um, New Zealand, Bulgaria, uh, so many countries. I think we even had one in Vietnam. Like we are literally hitting so many different places around the world, and uh, sorry if I haven't mentioned your country wherever you are from, but nonetheless, just want to say thank you to every single person who has downloaded an episode or listened to us rant about Formula One and talk about the sport that we love. Wherever it is that you are from, we absolutely appreciate your support, and anyone that's watched our content on YouTube as well, we absolutely love you guys for it. And uh, considering this was a passion project, we didn't expect much attention especially at this sort of time between the two of us but considering that some of the places that we're reaching and some of the people that are tuning in and listening to us um we hope that you're enjoying what we're producing so far and uh, we look forward to giving and producing much more content in the future we're excited about it and uh, it's you guys that obviously inspire us and keep us going and make us want to keep making more content especially in the current situation we're in with covid and everything else so just want to say thank you so much for supporting us guys and uh we hope that you enjoy what we've got to come in the future. You know, I'll share your sentiment. I mean, you know, we're just, we're just a couple of lads and went to school together. And, you know, we discussed something that we're both passionate about. It helps that we, um, you know, kind of have a support for two different teams that have been rivals in the recent years. So that mm. helps with the dialogue. But, yeah, we didn't expect, we didn't expect, you know, people from so many different countries. I, I don't know, I expected a few a handful of people from London to listen and that was it but um, but yeah thank you for listening and uh, yeah we've got a lot of exciting things coming up so let's keep this going shall we Adam absolutely and I'll look forward to it so of course in next week's episode guys we're going to be previewing the Belgian Grand Prix and of course any news that does come up in the week and of course if you are new to this don't forget to like share and subscribe to the channel on YouTube that's DNF1 F1 podcast and of course your favourite podcasting platform as well if you listen to us on that make sure to follow us on there we are on literally so many different places I couldn't even name them off the tip of my tongue as much as I try and um, make sure also to follow us on social media of course we have the Twitter page DNF1 underscore podcast I promise to be more active on that I've just been so busy but I will be more in the future and of course our illustrious Instagram page that Courtney runs and does a fantastic job on. So make yeah, sure to follow that. Adam. Make sure to follow that as well. DNF1 underscore podcast on Instagram as well. So uh, all this stuff to say is, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the DNF1 podcast. As I said, thank you for your support and we will see you in next week's episode. So until then, take care. See you soon.
Social Podcast Network.